Welcome to the Rainbow Room. Our podcast about writing, representation, and gay stuff. This is Season 2, Episode 8, Mateo Lane. Hey everyone, I'm Andrew. My name is Eric. And today we have special guest Drew Valentino. What's up? Hey, what's up? Woo-hoo. Not much. How are you guys? We're good. Awesome. That's yeah, good. good. Thank you for having me. Uh, we are so excited to have you. And uh, we're going to be talking about stand-up today. Stand-up comedy and the piece of media that we're talking about is just going to be Mateo Lane in general. And so we're going to be mm-hmm. going through some of his stuff. So all three of us have done stand-up comedy. So it'll also be interesting to hear like... I'm Drew, I'm interested to hear your take on how it's been going for you since you've made that foray. Eric, uh, you have your own stand-up show that you run, so I think we'll have a lot of interesting things to talk about. Before we get into all that, um, we have, Drew, we have a question that we'd like to ask all our guests, and it's part of our mission to help paint a rich tapestry of authentic queer people's stories. What's the gayest thing you did this week? Um, everything I'm thinking is really inappropriate. Um, <laughs> Um, awesome <laughs> uh well probably the she's gays and they show it's a whole it's a, a a comedy show i did last night that's all centered around lgbtq um and uh yeah it's a lot of fun because not only is all the comics some form of that community but um all of our friends are too that we bring so it's a really great audience and um lots of fun yeah cool how does that change the energy when you're performing in a room like that uh it's i feel like it, it it's really great it's a really great energy i feel like everybody's super supportive and also you know you could talk about more niche things um that maybe only are present in gay people's lives and um it's also a really interesting mix of people you know all we, we all gay people like have such a interesting and different upbringing so it's like such a nice mix of everybody you know um but i love doing that show oh that's amazing that's such a great answer yeah. eric what's the gayest thing you did this week i realize i haven't thought about my answer i think the gayest thing i did this week was like gay chaos um it was like gay i chaos. was at this gay chaos in one night was like I was running late to meet a friend at this bar or slash club in Brooklyn. And as I I literally get to the club, it was like a gay club and there was like a ticketed event going on. And literally as I'm walking up, I was going to buy a ticket at the door. Um, The bouncer was like, Oh, if you don't have a ticket, we, the like people selling tickets just said that if you don't have a ticket, like in advance, like no one can get in. So I was literally like the first person cut off. From going into the club. No. So then I was like, well, right. great. My friend had already gotten in. Oh, so no. then um, before that, I had been at a uh, like Mario Kart night with some friends. And I like left that early. So then I just hopped right back on a bus, went back and played more like fun video games with my girls. Um, and it felt bonkers being like bus over here, bus that way, train this way. That was like it was like the Lady Gaga like club another club but it was just like (laughs) methods of transportation for me (laughs) so what i got from that is the gayest thing you've done this week is have um play a bunch of mario kart with your friends (laughs) (laughs) also when you said gay chaos i fully thought like you were going to talk about a show you did i didn't realize it was just (laughs) that would be a great name for a gay comedy show oh yeah Yeah. that'd be awesome no my life can be outside of comedy i can live a life outside of that (laughs) how dare you no, I, um, gayest thing I did this week is I've slowly accumulated a group of gym friends 
And so I like had an event where I invited them all over for a little kiki. We went over to, I live right by the Starbucks Reserve in Seattle. And they have all these really cute martini coffee drinks. And you can get like a taster where you have cold brew on one side and whiskey on the other. So they have these really nice drinks. And so we went there, started there, drank, and then came back to my place and then just drank tons of cranberry vodkas. That sounds fun. Sweet. Also, just like current gay events, we are recording this on January 30th. So yesterday, on Sunday, the uh, third episode of The Last of Us came out. And I haven't mm-hmm. seen it. Have you guys been I haven't seen it either. Have y'all been hearing about this? Yeah, everybody's posting about it like it changed the world. Like I've been seeing all people's Instagram statuses are talking about it. I've seen uh, memes and tweets. And and um, I did you guys play The Last of Us? No. I played it. And that oh. game was so incredibly good that like, and, I, and a part of the reason why it was so good is because the story was just very compelling. And like, they did a great job of building a character. And it was like, emotional so and like when i saw a billboard in la for the last of us on hbo i was like no way I, that's such a good idea because the story was so good and i just binged the first two episodes um i think yesterday or the day before no, like two days ago and I'm like man this is this is real it's like living up to the expectation of it so obviously they're going to adapt it it's not going to be exactly the same as the video game and from what I can tell, I don't remember that being in the video game, but it sounds like it's going to be really fun and gay. Yeah, I, 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 I was so goofed. I didn't realize there was going to be gay characters in it. Yeah, I think I saw someone say that like they allude to it in the video game, but like it's a very like subtle. So like, yeah. the the relationship is a guy and a girl, like older guy and then a girl, and they're teaming together and basically more or less like a zombie apocalypse kind of situation. And um, and they after the game there is a downloadable content extra where you could buy more game and you play as just the girl, whereas normally you play as the guy and like the big reveal. And this is like spoilers. If you want to play that downloadable content that came out like six years ago, um, (laughs) basically it's building up to the fact that that the girl is a lesbian and like, you don't realize that. And there's another girl she meets and they're kind of working together to try to survive. And at the end they like, have a moment and you're like oh my god wait wait and then kiss and it's like a beautiful story beautiful for the lgbtq community oh this and is in the dlc this is in the dlc oh, so you have like years ago. but the girl it was the girl whereas what i'm seeing online about the show makes it sound like it's about guys so i don't know what's the tea but like in the in the game they did that and it caused an uproar and it was really cool oh that's so yeah. cool oh, i yeah. can't wait to watch it mm, yeah same all right, let's talk about stand up. Okay. <laughs> that was such Woo! a chill. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, Drew, you have like pretty recently gotten into stand up, right? I've pretty recently gotten back into stand up. So. Back into it. Okay, okay. Yeah, walk me through your origin story. <laughs> so, I did stand up. I, I think I want to start, I was like 22 and maybe younger, but I, in my basically in my early 20s, I got into it. And I did it for maybe like two, three years, but we're talking like, you know, most people that do comedy do it like once a week or something. I was doing a show like maybe once every two, three months, like really nervous about it, building up to it for three months, and mm-hmm. about two, three years. And then I stopped because I got a job and just got kind of busy. And um, and I will say that in the, those few years, and as young as I was, I never bombed. I always did good for how old I was. And I just felt like I had a knack for it because I 
Basically, you never bombed when never you were bombed. out. That is, I don't believe that for a second. I've never bombed. And uh, I mean, sure, there will be a time where you tell a joke that you thought would have been funnier, or yeah. you'll tell a joke that didn't land. But if it, the rest of your jokes are good, nobody really cares. You yeah. know what I mean? It wasn't, it never once did it, was it like an awkward, like, oh, this is terrible the whole time. <laughs> and, um, and I, because the thing is, when I made when I made that jump from like, okay, I'm too old for Nickelodeon when I was like 12, <laughs> like stand up comedy on Comedy Central is what I switched to. And it, so my all my teens, all I watched was stand up. So I kind of always, I kind of developed that delivery, you know? Um, and so I just feel like I was really good at it considering my age and inexperience. And then uh, I got out of it and then I wanted to get back into it for the longest and then like i started doing all the porn which kind of put like an, an entertainment spotlight on me anyway and i was thinking man i really should get back into this now and then i had plans to move to la and then i was like okay when i move to la i have to start doing it and i moved to la in may and then in july i started to like okay i need to make this happen i started going to different comedy clubs networking meeting people just being in the comedy space gives you motivation to write I started writing material and I did my first set in July and now I've been doing like two, three shows a month since July. And, um, and it's been great. And now because I've had, I've been doing OnlyFans for three years and studio porn for a year and a half. Like I have so much to talk about just about that. Mm -hmm. It's like, there's, there's just so much, I, I become a better performer and a better storyteller since I was 22 and now I'm 34. But now I also have so much more to talk about. That's very um, niche, and people don't know about it. They oh yeah, you could offer a really unique perspective because, yeah, exactly. like, I've never gay, straight, whatever. I don't think I've met any other porn stars who are doing comedy. Right, exactly, and that's what's been really nice. I've, I, you know, I talk a lot. I have talked talk a lot about my sex life. I've talked a lot about um, being behind, like, being behind the scenes on set, do, doing studio work, and. The, I've learned that with a lot of these topics, even when I'm not at a punchline, everybody is like super engaged and into it because they they want to know more. Like, you know, yeah. what I mean? we all know what porn is. We've all seen porn, but like a lot of people don't really know the other side. You know what I mean? So it's been a great um, it's been a great uh, foundation for me to get back into stand up. I've watched some of, you know, what you've posted on Instagram and stuff. It's mm -hmm. funny. I really like your lens a bit. That's hilarious. My, my what? Your lens a bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was, that was, that needed to be done by somebody, right? <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh my God, that's so <laughs> topical. Yeah. And actually, it, it, I put up, um, you know, the first minute of it because it lays down the groundwork of what I'm talking about. And it's also just simple and funny, but it just gets completely outrageous and like the second half of that that was not posted is like the really funny one but but, but then i didn't want to post a three minute video on instagram mm -hmm. and and the second part doesn't really make sense unless you watch the first part so i was like whatever i'll just put the simple one up but okay but thank you yeah i i like that set <laughs> yeah it is it is hard um to know because you know i also do stand up it's hard to figure out like how much 
do I want to put up, right? Like, right. And people are always worried about burning material. Although I think the like census consensus that the stand up community is kind of coming to is like, it doesn't really matter if you burn your material. Like, that's not gonna. If people come and see your show and they see you doing a joke they've seen online, they're gonna be like, oh, cool, I know this joke. It's like going to a concert. I've thought about that before too. Where like, it's, I think about the times that I go to a comedy show. I mean, we all work together. We see each other's sets over and over again, and like. Like I said about even if you bomb one joke, you know, you win over the audience in the beginning. If people like you, they like your energy and they're laughing, then like they want you to succeed. And I feel like there are the times that I've seen other comedians and I knew their punchline already because I've seen it. Like I'm just like so much more ready to laugh be- just because of the energy of it. And it's even almost funnier because I know what they're about to say. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Other than the fact that it's giving you a lot of interesting stories to talk about on set, do you think that your um, history in porn has been something you've been able to leverage as you're entering back into stand-up? Especially as you said, you've kind of you have an audience, right? Mm. Like an yeah, online follower. For sure. I, I am really grateful for that because I, I feel like um climbing the ladder in porn uh kind of went hand in hand with me growing my social media accounts. In today's day and age with OnlyFans, you really can't um you can't grow your OnlyFans or make money off your OnlyFans without social media to back you up and promote you essentially. Mm-hmm. So it's like the porn is what got my accounts to be big, Instagram and Twitter and to have a big following. And then that's now has been a spotlight for me to um be funny because even before I got back into stand up, there was like a year. I mean, we all saw it happen where like everybody started to realize, oh, the best way to get followers is to make do these funny reels and TikToks. Mm. And then they geniusly made it so you don't even have to be creative, funny, or original because now you can just steal somebody else's audio. So everybody's doing this. And I was, um, <laughs> what's that? Savage. You don't even yeah. have to be funny. <laughs> yeah. So like I, I, started to make some videos and TikToks and, and reels, but um, you know, my own original content. But anyway, um, I would make funny TikToks and reels and I got recognized for that. Like people would message me and comment and say really nice things. I would see people in, in person at parties and stuff. And people say, oh, I love your TikToks and stuff. And I kind of like that and kind of took on that identity of like, oh yeah, I should really, I've done this before with like YouTube making like funny videos and stuff. I'm like, I really want to do more of that. So even before I got back into stand-up, I was identif- I was um, developing this, um, you know, comedy identity. You know, um, and then when so when I got back into stand up, it, it just made sense. You know what I mean? People already see me as quote unquote a comedian. That's really cool. And uh, Eric, I also want to ask you how well, I haven't we've talked about it briefly on this podcast, but I haven't really gotten too much into your stand up journey because uh, I know you're doing a lot of stand up in New York. You're running this show now. How's that all been? And what's your experience been like? How long have you been doing it, et cetera? I mean, I've been doing it like. I would say I've been doing actual stand-up for, like, the past year, on and off, like, a year and a half. Like, I don't know. It's interesting to, like, have an improv background and have done that for literally almost 10 years now. And then to transition over into stand-up. And it feels kind of like I have this experience. And it's like I have this tool through improv that, like, helps me be have much more of an expedited experience at stand-up. But stand-up in New York has been awesome. I think the Brooklyn comedy community is really great so much queer awesome people in it and like there's a lot of just 
cool, awesome mics that you can go to as really, I'm sure, I don't know, I guess like this is the same experience as everywhere, but just like just going to mics and getting to know people and posting your stuff online. Um, thankfully I started a show thanks to my friend, Evan, who wants to be on the spot so badly. He tells me about it every day. Um, you didn't mention that to me. We can totally have him on the pod. He keeps, he keeps being like annoying me and being like, I want to be on. And I'm like, okay. Um, <laughs> but it's like, honestly, like thanks to him, he and I are both just like very much like talkative people and love meeting new people. So through that, we've been able to build a community around our mic and bring a lot of people in and host awesome shows and stuff. And yeah, it's been awesome to like see what you can get done in like one singular year. So I think going into 2023, I'm excited just having like the tools already and stuff um to continue going i oh but now i want to talk to drew i'm still thinking about this no bombing thing <laughs> yeah. you, said you said that and i was like 22 didn't bomb interesting and i it has me thinking about like everyone's sort of definition of bombing and yeah. like mm. in a way like i as we were taught you were like going through that more i was thinking like i was like i guess bombing is much more of a feeling within your body than it is anything else Cause I have moments where I just like get so anxious and I'm like, I did bad just now. And that was bad. But if I looked at it outside of my body, I'm like, I got laughs. Like I didn't do terrible. Mm-hmm. I can name like one time that I really like had a moment where like, maybe I got a, like, there was one mic that I went to where I like got one chuckle. Otherwise it was like kind of bad. So I'm intrigued about the snow bomb definition. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just, um, I took my time getting back into getting into the comedy scene um, because I, my first thought was to just start going to comedy shows and I was going, I found an open mic that was by my place and I was going there uh, regularly for weeks, weeks and weeks, every Wednesday to check it out. And um, that was motivating for me to write the material. But like I said, there's something, I, I really do think it has to do with the fact that I've always watched stand up ever since I was like, like literally like 13 or something. And also my parents are really funny. So it was like, I just kind of always had the delivery down and was always in my group of friends, like the funny guy. And so when I wrote a set, like it, it's not something that I would be necessarily proud of as a 34 year old that's been doing stand up. But for my first time, I, so I remember there was this one guy who I thought was really hot, but irrelevant. Uh, there was this one guy. Always relevant. <laughs> <laughs> there was this one guy that was really cute and, um, he was, you know, I was 22. He was probably like 30 or something. And um, I remember that he was there every single Wednesday and and he was okay. I, you know, he had some good moments, but it's not like he was knocking out of the park. He was okay to good, you know? And um, I looked up to him a lot, mostly because he was hot. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, I remember, I never met him. I never really, I just went and maybe brought a friend, but I never really talked to anybody. And then when I did my set, in fairness, I had maybe, you know, five to seven of my friends come to support that are sitting in the audience. But like, I did, I did really well. And um, afterwards, and I was so relieved, it was my first set ever. And afterwards, that guy came up to me and said, dude, how long have you been doing stand up? And I goes, this was my first time. And he goes, this was your first time doing stand up? And I'm like, yeah. And it was just like, it's like a memory that I will never fade where I was just, I look back at that. And I'm like, that feels amazing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like for one, I, I want him to sleep with me. And two, which is never gonna, he was straight. But two, it's just like that just kind of um, confirmed that it's like, I, I do have the delivery down already. So it's just a matter of, you know, getting more confident because I was nervous 
you know, yeah. getting more confident and, and having stuff to talk about, you know? Um, I, th- I think what's hard for me is when I go with, okay. So my first time ever doing stand up, uh, I went to this place called tramps in Austin and I went with friends and I remember I was like timing my set. I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm just barely going to be under like this threshold of three minutes or four minutes. And then I was so nervous that I just like sped through my set in two minutes. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, like so me and eric have an improv background right so again we have like a lot of like kind of like you we had a lot of comedy experience before like trying it and so i also had someone come up to me and be like wow that was like for your first time there's no way that was so good but my like imp- my comedy friends who i had come with didn't say anything to me and i was like oh i know, uh, they hated it. I know. like <laughs> yeah but one thing i wanted to ask you all because i know if i've had my own what are some struggles or things you've encountered along the way um, on your journey so far? So my thing is that I do not want to be pigeonholed in that I only can talk about gay butt sex and porn. That's my biggest Mm -hmm. thing because there there are, and I thought that about that when I was going into it before I even stepped foot in any comedy rooms in LA. I just, my thing, my thing is like, I was funny before the porn. I was a comedian before the porn. And Mm -hmm. that is important to me that that is like, you know, uh, you know, that that's not my identity. Um, Now, with that being said, comedians talk about their life experiences and gay butt sex and porn is my experience. And that's, that's my, that's my, um, that's my forte. Like that's my comfort zone. If I'm going to make, try to kill it and I'm going to go up and talk about sex. Yeah, and it's also your most unique perspective, right? It's like right. something the stage that no, it's going to be fresh because no other comic is doing it or can. One hundred percent. And so the thing is, when I so when I got back into stand up, at, at first I was thinking I kind of don't even want to talk about sex at all because I want to differentiate. But then I, I was like thinking about it, and writing material, not loving it, and just like thinking about it more. I'm like, you know what? I should be. I'm just getting back back into this, which is scary. I should be going into this with the confidence of doing something that is within my wheelhouse. And I was like, you know what? Let me talk about the porn because then that will give me the comfort and confidence to go in. And and then as I got, got back into it, I've, I've just been like killing it. And, and but talking about porn, gay about sex, my sex life and whatnot. Now, my thought is there are times where I leave that she's gays and they's or any other gay mic. And I like definitely stand out. It like, you know, where people have applauded me, like for, you know, some just saying some really great things. And I just leave feeling like a million bucks. But then I reflect on it. I'm like, that's, I want, I record it. I'm like, oh, I'm really happy with this set. Right. But then I think like, I killed it. If I did this exact same set on a random night at the, at the Hollywood improv with, a, with, that's not a game mic, like it would be okay. I don't know if I'd kill it. You know what I mean? And, and that's been my biggest challenge is that now, so, and I thought about this as like a 2023 goal is to m- write more mainstream comedy. Yes. Or at least make, and, and make some of the stuff that is about sex, like relatable for everybody, regardless of your sexual orientation and your experience, you know? So those are my two, that's like my, my big challenge and goal. I have the exact same issue right now where it's so much easier for me to write comedy about being gay, but I'm... Mm-hmm if I'm not careful, I'm going to become too one note. So I'm like really trying to expand my jokes to cover other facets of my life. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what am I if I'm not gay? And it's like hard. There's really not much there. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Same. laughs> 
Yeah, I think like very much similar note of just like trying to sort of find your voice and mm-hmm. like what you want to say on stage. I think I, coming from an improv background, have such like a loosey-goosey attitude about like being on stage. Mm-hmm. And that was, I found in my moments where I, in my definition, I bombed was like when I would go up on stage and try to just like improv my way through it. Like I would have like points mm-hmm. I wanted to hit, but I never really wrote out specific sort of punchlines or I would just like, yeah, I would have, I would like tell a story and not hit specific beats and stuff. And so Mm. I had a conversation with a friend recently after a mic where she was like, you just have to like, yes, have the loosey goosey, but also you do need to have like Mm. the balance with like the hard material that like you're like looking over. And Mm. ever since then I've been like doing much better with like having a direction with my sets and having beats and having jokes and yeah. Um, it's just, and it's just like, like we're saying, like the whole being gay of it all. And um, I go to a lot of like gay mics in Brooklyn. Like that's such an easy audience to do. And it's just, it's a matter of like, for me, like, how do I want to be creatively fulfilled? Like, mm-hmm. do I want to go and be uncomfortable in a room full of straight men in Manhattan? Like, not really, but like, what is it that I want out of Manhattan? Like, what do I want out of stand up? And so I think my challenge for me is just to like find out more of what I want. Like, do I want to be massive, massive, huge, or do I just want to make people that I care about laugh, I guess. Right. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about Dylan Adler's advice that he gave us um, when he was on the podcast, which was just like perform as often as you can perform in as many rooms as you can. Sometimes it won't be a great experience. It's like, okay, great. You had that experience. Like go on. Like, Mm. that's that's the other thing I want to say is I feel like in fairness with the whole um, never bombing thing, like I, there's probably way harder rooms that I've never worked. You know what I mean? Like I, I also has to do with the fact that, you know, the open mic nights are that I did when I first started were open mic nights where a lot of people are trying it out for the first time, trying to be supported, bringing their friends. And then I transitioned from that to doing like gay mics in the city. And then I came to LA and did gay mics here. And it's just like, you know, it also that like, I'm sure that there's some rooms out there that are really tough that if I did some material that I I probably would bomb, you know? (laughs) And there's something to be said for that, like the skill Mm -hmm. of positioning yourself. Right. Well, with that, I think it is about time for us to go watch the show. Woo! Yay! (laughs) Is that a thing? Am I supposed to say woo? At this point, we watch Mateo Lane perform in Netflix's The Comedy Lineup. He does a short 12-minute set. He tells the jokes at a fast pace, occasionally asking questions to the general audience and reacting to their responses. He covers a wide range of topics, from hunting to grinder to Lindsay Lohan. He finishes his set to wild applause. And we're back! Woo. <laughs> I was wondering if you were supposed to say woo. <laughs> I was looking for Eric to do it. Eric always does it. <laughs> oh, I really, yeah. Sorry, that's my bad, guys. <laughs> sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. Woo! <laughs> so he is like so easy to watch on stage. He's so fun. Just like boom, 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 quick. Mm. Like, I, don't, I think he's a really fascinating case study. Um, and I've been watching his stuff. On, oh, yeah. How did you guys, I guess, like, what was your first time hearing about Mateo, Mateo Lane or seeing him? For me, it was Insta, just seeing him come up on my feed and then following him and seeing more of him on my feed. Um, but really, it's uh, up until I never watched it. I'm actually glad because I've been meaning to because I've only seen little clips. And, and honestly, most of his Insta is not even his stand-up. It's him, you know, talking about stuff and... <laughs> you know, little skits and stuff. Um, and also being hot. Yeah, and also being hot. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm the same way where I, um, I think it was like primarily through TikTok. I was like, oh, who's this like gay comic? This, this shit is mm. hilarious. I feel like I discovered him through Nicole Byer. I didn't know who he was necessarily, but her, him and Nicole do, did a lot of stuff together like a while ago. And I would always see their posts on Instagram together. And I'd be like, who is this little man? And that's how <laughs> I like discovered who he was. Um, yeah, Nicole Byer, also really awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool, but also I I also think that speaks to kind of what we were talking about earlier, where like right now it's just so um, like posting reels and stuff like that is like so important for getting big, and that's like really been my motivator. Like, all right, I have to start posting more of my stand up to reels, like which is really difficult, by the way, because it's like unless you are at a place you've been to before, you know them and have been working with them, like because you know how like the Instagram algorithm detects a number of things before it determines how many people it's going to show it to, right? Like half the reason a video goes viral is because of what Instagram detects. If there's a lot of cursing, right? That might like take it down a notch. If the quality of, and this is what I was getting at, if the, the quality of the video is very poor, both audio and video, Instagram rec can detect that and is not going to let it go out to as many people. Well, you think Instagram is algorithmically detecting the quality? Oh, of that's the a fact. <laughs> that's, a, that's an empirical fact that Instagram's algorithm. I know that. I mean, think about it, right? If you, if, if you have, if you, okay, if you follow, not, not followers, but if you follow 50,000 people, let's just say Instagram can't show you all 50,000 of those people's posts. Think about how many people you you know you follow, but you never see on your feed. Instagram strategically and methodically calculates all that to think about who to show what to what. Not to mention the fact that your stuff could come up on somebody's explore page. And like, there's so many factors uh, that play a role in that. And one of that is the quality of the video. If you have a really good video, a really funny video, but the audio and the video is terrible, Instagram is going to suppress how many people it wants to show that to. So the thing is, my, my point I was making is that like, if you're in a comedy club, like all Mateo, all Mateo Lane's uh, clips, some really high quali- quality video that are kind of up close, that it's probably on this, it's probably from the comedy club recording it. Probably that gives that would give somebody a leg up compared to if you're using somebody's phone versus if you're using somebody's phone really far back. You know what yeah. I mean? Even though it's the same material, so um, you know it's important to uh, you know figure out who's going to record. Are you going to have a tripod? Is your you know how are are, are the, is the producer or the venue okay with you putting a tripod there? You know, so it's like lots to think about when it comes to that. Yeah, and you are seeing that people do that more and more where they're like mm-hmm. bringing high quality camera equipment mm-hmm. and microphones. And that's honestly something I should probably invest in. Because mm-hmm. um, yeah. right now, all the reels I've posted, they are like from the venue's camera equipment, but it's still, you know, it's not as up close as mm-hmm. I think all of Mateo's are from the comedy cellar, all the ones I've seen, um, which is, is really cool. And then also, I mean, that that club already has such a um, reputation, a positive reputation that that also like helps too. I'm sure they probably have their own professional camera setup, whether it's a person or, I mean, it doesn't move. So it's, it's very likely it, like I've seen them on the ceiling, like, like almost like a projector, you know what I mean? And that way they can give all their comics, a beautiful quality video up close. Of, you know. uh, what'd y'all think of this set of this Netflix set? I thought it was good. I liked it. Like, like I said, this is the first time actually watching uh, a set of his that was not just a 30 second clip on Insta. Um, but it was cute. And I agree with you. It's, he's like very fast, you know, like he yeah, just really, 
The yeah. whole thing is like, what, 10, 12 minutes? So he's just like cramming all these jokes mm. in there. The audience is eating it up. Yeah. And it, and it seems like it's like, this isn't just a gay audience, right? Like this is a, and right. so for me, it was really interesting examining how, how does he, you know, now one thing is like, I've done a 15 minute set of all gay jokes and mm. you can crush with that, right? Um, so there is a certain amount of stamina the audiences have. I think maybe with a longer set, like you have to start having a wider variety of jokes. But even with his, like I was trying to think, okay, okay, how many of these jokes are gay jokes? And I feel like he really does kind of like seamlessly go back and forth. Like mm. he'll start talking about his family and his dad and hunting, and then he relates it back to him being gay, and then he goes back out. But he doesn't just stay on that, right? Like it's a lot of he does have some bits that are like, hey, this is an experience about me being gay, or like the <laughs> the drive by faggot joke, the uh, like trick he does is really cool. Like uh, I love that. that's so creative. I did. You mentioned the hunting. I think that was my favorite thing of the whole thing was when he was just was like, oh, by the way, drag uh, hunting is like the lowest form of drag or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. Um, it's interesting to me because I feel like, especially getting back into it six months ago, you know, like you said, when you're kind of nervous, you can breeze through the material. And even as I got past that and was like, okay, just slow down. Then there's also times where I've got much more comfortable, but I look at the videos I've done and I'm like, okay, I didn't go, I didn't breeze through it, but I need to leave more room, more pause to let the laugh build. Sometimes the comedian will tell a joke. And people kind of giggle and they just don't say anything. And then it just kind of turns into a roaring laughter a little like slowly. And, and I was been working on it and I'd watch his and he doesn't really do that. <laughs> he, he just goes, <laughs> goes, 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 you know? So I guess it's all on preference, you know, in style. Yeah. There's a bit of that. There's also an element of what type of show you're doing. So you'll notice in this kind of quick set that's being filmed for Netflix, even though Mateo Lane, from what I've seen in his other material, loves doing crowd work. And mm -hmm. he does do some crowd work, but he keeps it really short and concise. Yeah, I was wondering that because, okay, for that archetype, what made him, what what got him to the top, you know? But then when you watch the set, it's like he can sing and he ha he's really charismatic and like silly and good energy. You know what I mean? And it's like that stuff helps him stand out. Yeah. And I think going back to kind of like the ratio of gay stuff to not gay stuff, if you like, although he's talking about everything, basically through the lens of being a gay man, he covers so much different content. Uh, yeah, I, I was thinking about his gay stuff versus my gay stuff. Right. And there's lots of things I will talk about in my gay stuff that literally like if you're just a straight man, like you might not even know what I'm talking about. Whereas <laughs> him, it's, it's much more general grinder you know hookup or whatever you know what i mean like he he he's his is more even his gay stuff is more mainstream gay gay stuff you know yeah eric what do you think of the set <laughs> i'm silent about it and then i'm like actually i hated it now <laughs> <laughs> no i love i just loved also like we're talking about like how he's like whip smart quick whatever he truly comes out in the first line is like i'm gay bye and like gets the right. crowd like rolling <laughs> from that line like, right i yeah, thought yeah. i just literally that's like his first line and like we talk about like his gay versus non-gay but it's like he just comes out and says it and like the audience like really laughed like immediately i think when he was talk we talked the lindsay lohan stuff was hilarious and the little mermaid ursula keeping the voice joke that, yeah, that was like, really funny oh god that funny. killed me and then he was good at singing so it's like you know yeah. like one bit, it was a good package of stuff yeah i love i just loved 
crowd work can really make or break someone. And I find in my own stand-up, like, my best stuff has been crowd work. And, like, when you take, like, a crowd work moment and try to make it, like, a joke in your, like, usual set, like, it just never works in the same way. And it's, like, it's just such a hard game. And I also want to think, like, when we're talking about, like, sharing your reels to Instagram and stuff, I swear some of these, like, really big comedians on Instagram I see are only posting crowd work. And I'm, like, looking for, like, their usual stuff. And I'm, like, are they just trying not to burn their, like, usual content? Like, what I was just going to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. Crowd work is a hard thing to practice at open mics, I feel like. You you kind of have to do crowd works at yeah. um, regular shows that you're on. That's when you get that practice. Something that was, like, an aha moment for me, my stand-up sets go so much better if near the beginning... I start with something that involves the audience, whether it's crowd work or a joke that involves the audience, like that and always think the host. Um, yeah, yeah. It's such like, a quick hack to like get free applause. Like. Mm. I swear, stand up is such a little video game. We're talking about like, right. No, we're talking about like these canned responses where it's like, if I get this response, it'll be this. It's so like in like a role playing game where it's like <laughs> choosing the response to like depict which like path you go down. Like, it feels so single player mode when you're up there. <laughs> I think one of the reasons I, I stopped doing stand up early on was one when I was starting when I was starting it, I would I had no intention of like trying to make a career out of it, right? I was just doing it for fun and as a hobby. So if it wasn't fun, I wasn't going to do it. And for me, it wasn't fun. Yeah. I, was, I started in Austin. I was often the only gay guy in the room. It was usually a bunch of like you know, a very homogenous cis straight white men, which I love cis straight white men. But on top of that, it was just the community wasn't there. And coming from mm-hmm. improv where everyone, I mean, improv has its own diversity problems, but everyone in improv is such a team player and like looking to get along with you and like right. you and the energy in a stand-up room is so much like can be in, you know, uh, at certain open mics and many open mics, it's such a different vibe. I will say, I think Seattle's been the best city I've done stand-up in so far yeah but i think honestly one of the reasons i got back into stand-up uh was a little bit of feeling of spite of like screw these guys who don't respect me or like don't you know think i'm not gonna make it like i'm especially being a gay man because Mm -hmm. i would go to the open mics and i was the only gay one i was like this is stupid i'm not gonna let this like what that's just not been my experience but that's so funny (laughs) regional thing um but yeah i mean that's why i'm so inspired when i see people like mateo lane i'm also glad that these spaces are popping up it's like all right we need a space where uh queer men queer women women in general can like come and perform and not feel pushed out because in all these other spaces that are exist they are feeling pushed out and right that's how the she's gays and they's show came about because that was kind of her whole point you know um yeah, and it sounds like it's actually worked really well for y'all, especially yeah. you said it a lot sold of- out last night. It's been selling out lately. It's like eighty seats. So oh, that's awesome. You've been doing yeah. that shit a lot, then, huh? Yeah, every month. Every month. Oh, it's a once a month thing. Yeah. Once a month. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I feel like um, in regards to my own mic, it being like a women and queer mic, like. Anytime I'm hosting and like we're just doing the open mic night, I'm always crushing because it's one like queer people as well as like queer people who want to get on my good side because I'm the host and they're trying to like cater to me. <laughs> so I like will host a mic and I'm like, wow, I crushed that night. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, obviously, like everyone like it's very it's a very supportive environment, which is just like 
fun and really creatively fulfills me, which dips into my whole, like, what do I want out of this sort of thing? Well, I think it's about time for us to go into final thoughts. Um, Eric, what are your uh, final thoughts? Gay, Italian, Disney, hunting, fun for the whole family. <laughs> Wait, am I supposed to list five things? Like, no, no, I just do that. I do that every time. I always just go like word by word. I thought it was a lot of fun. I think it's a great case study. Very physical, very quick, and includes a lot of content and range. I loved uh, just really watching his style, particularly his pacing style. Um, and where I, in my head, I'm like, I need to slow down. I need to slow down. But he's just like quick, quick, quick. I liked watching it, um, like him just kind of connecting his talents with the singing and um, being kind of like speedy to make, to make it work. You know, it's like it's just a different style. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Drew, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. It was so cool to watch this with you and talk to you about it and also like hear so much about your own journey. Mm. Um, and I feel like we're seeing a lot of <clears throat> improvement in the stand-up world in general, which I think it's really great that that representation is starting to correct itself. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. And um, yeah, let me know if you ever want me to come back. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Bye, fam.